Welcome. Welcome to another episode of, uh, of Bad Praxis. Uh, you know, as, as, we've, as we've talked about before, we're trying to be a little better about our, our content output. So we've got, we've got quite a few pretty, pretty varied topics today to talk about. Um, in case, you know, you've forgotten because it's been so long since we've done content. I'm Bob. Uh, I'm joined today with my co-host, Chi. Hi, this is Chief. And Kennedy. Hey, everybody. Hi, Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> We're, uh, we try to have all three of us for each show, but that's definitely not going to be the case. Uh, we are looking to branch out and have, have some guests on mm-hmm. various topics. So if you have something interesting to talk about, uh, feel free to drop us a line. We're we would love to hear from you. Definitely on the line into those direct messages. Oh yeah, so, yeah it could be an episode where I or someone else are absent. Maybe even joined by someone who's a guest. So all that is possible. Always looking to expand the bad praxis family. So the uh, the first uh, the first item that we were planning on getting to today is last week she went to the socialism conference in chicago and so we wanted him to talk a little bit about the the sites and the activities of of doing a socialism in america right so um i just got back from doing socialism in the windy city i've been calling it maybe obnoxiously Chicago um, <laughs> and it was really good I had a great time and can easily see myself going to it again and would uh, recommend attending without hesitation you should go to this conference if you have the uh, means and ability uh, it's very very good it's all a lot of um, panels uh, interesting discussions. There were lots of um, like fun punk and like oddly colored hair people there. And lots of like cool t-shirts. The, fu- and stuff. the future the le- the liberals want. Oh yeah, many My many people. pins, many many tendencies, and um, it was good. Was it left unity? It was left unity. There That's there beautiful. were of course like some people who would like kind of do some weird anti-Bernie thing. Like, so one of my distinct memories is, like, from early on, I saw this poster, like, an actual poster outside of some guy, like, I don't know if he was protesting the conference or just, like, or I don't know what he was doing, but he had this sign, and it, it was difficult for me to see what it said, but I slowly, like, as I was reading it, I made out the words like Bernie Sanders imperialist running dog or something like that. <laughs> and I might have burst out laughing. And, uh, it was because like, you just don't expect to see that kind of thing IRL. But in general, people were like good and not like too on one about like their particular um, beliefs being correct. <laughs> I mean, I, I for one love when people bring their the same energy they bring to Twitter to IRL. So oh yeah, 
Yeah, obviously, like, some people, like, all they have is the post and, like, something like a conference is an outlet for them to, like, post in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I can admire most that, people were Most people were really cool. and That is real adherence to the poster's creed. People being weird was, at most, like, amusing. <laughs> Isn't it organized by the people at Jacobin? Yeah, so it used to be um, led by something called, like, the World Socialist something, or... No, it wasn't the... It was, um... I thought it was ISO. Okay, yeah, it used to be run by ISO, and they basically, like, disbanded as a group because of, like, the levels of internal, like sexual harassment occurring that would never happen in a <laughs> yeah space. i remember reading about that uh, oh definitely not but like their book publishing arm haymarket was still like a partner or host of it haymarket and is they good. had lots of cool books no, so it's mostly rules. like a dsa or jacobin run thing now which is good and it led to like people who weren't attending to call it like a democratic party operative like Max Blumenthal and Hell shit. Yeah. They were they were they yeah. had a, like some wild takes about it. Particularly about this China panel that they said oh, it was like a pro regime change thing. And I actually like this is like one of the panels I actually went to and it most definitely was not that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fucked up that, that you were taught dangism at the socialism conference. Yeah. <laughs> Any time that anybody talks about China in even China. a remotely like China. China in a remotely like not even critical like as in like this is bad but like anytime leftists try to think critically about China a lot of people get mad. Well yeah you're supposed to defend like the Uyghur concentration camps if you're a leftist. That's what mm-hmm. Twitter taught me. Um yeah, We're there. Twitter taught me anything bad about China is propaganda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Chi, were there, like you mentioned the, the China panel, were there any other panels that you went to that you particularly liked or, or didn't like? or um, Anything you thought was super relevant? Well, I don't want to, there were some panels like I found less interesting, or like kind of like a slog to get through. I don't want to trash. Yeah, panels. yeah. There was one that I really enjoyed about, like, the housing crisis in America that was actually really good. And by the end of it, like, during the kind of discussion or remarks, there's supposed to be questions, but they ended up being, like, comments (laughs) from the audience. (laughs) Um, It kind of became more international and, like, people talked about their experiences in Europe and... Uh, Brazil, I think Canada, about like how capital is screwing up housing everywhere. And that one might be the most substantive or like lasting thing for me. Cause I like, I think there's so many opportunities for like, I think there's so many opportunities for trying to enact rent control or like deeper housing reforms and you know people don't like their landlords it's a, probably a great thing to organize right. around <laughs> um but my main my main um 
I guess, experience with the conference was meeting a lot of people. I know online and, you know, getting to find out that they are actually really cool and fun to hang around and socialism should be social. Right. That was something I actually wanted to wanted to ask about a little bit was, um, did you feel like, obviously, like having the conference, you know, it's good to spread information. It's good to, you know, have like a work, you know, a marketplace of ideas. But um, did you feel like there was anything? Do you feel like having a socialism conference helps to build towards socialism like the do you think it helps to build towards like a community where we can talk about this stuff more openly and freely oh definitely like um it's kind of like uh similar to other con experiences you know more or ones that similar to ones that are kind of more based in pop culture like a comic book or an anime convention I don't know if you've ever been to one, but like if if you have, you'll notice like around the perimeter of where it's ever where it's being held within like, you know, a couple miles, like maybe you see people with like just the same badges, you know, like getting food at the same restaurants. It it really helps to show you like that there are like really normal people that that are out there that agree with you. And seeing people from a bunch of different diverse places is good and it really is the, a marketplace of ideas unironically <laughs> and and all the stuff you can learn and like connect with people doing the same stuff in your community in or in their communities as you are and you can realize that they're having the same kind of struggles and hang-ups and you can learn a lot and teach a lot by engaging with them the one thing i would say is chicago um is great in my opinion like the limited exposure i had to it was was good mm-hmm. i i would say it would probably be a really good idea to have more regionalized conferences too oh yeah because i'm lucky enough i was lucky enough to be able to take a plane and get off work for a little while other people aren't so if maybe there were regional ones i think that would be pretty good in one one point i wanted to make uh with with, in regards to kennedy's question about like does the socialism conference help build towards something i think just strategically having something that like a conference every year that's about socialism that that is able to build momentum year after year is a good thing just for like the national consciousness. Like I know Dave Weigel was at the socialism conference. Who's a fairly, you know, well-known Washington post uh, politics writer and having like exposure from people like Dave at the conference, writing about it in a, American paper of record shows that, you know, like this is normal and it's not, I feel like it, it, it's just another step in making socialism in like social democratic policies, like less scary to the average American who like 
knows about socialism from like watching Red Dawn with her dad. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I think that it would be smart to have more local conferences, but at the same time, I think it's smart to have the sort of hmm, ground zero. Sure. Be somewhere like Chicago. Oh, yeah. It's good to have like a a hub that's in like mm -hmm. a city that is actually Central. making some some of the gains that we want to make. Right. Like Seattle right. or Chicago. Like they have good council. I mean members, Chicago you know? has like six DSA council yeah. members. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they some of them spoke and it was very good. You know, Chicago is a city that's historically tied to leftist politics and, and like especially the labor oh, yeah. movement, Haymarket this, massacre. The, the IWW yeah. uh, was like founded there, I believe, or at least kind of centralized there. And yeah, it's also in the last couple decades been, you know, the Chicago boys and Chicago economics have been associated with, you know, really far right damaging economic policies and so it's good for the left to sort of reclaim chicago and bring those left traditions back into um the mainstream there i think that's really smart well and as as the the centrists like to say like uh you know oh well you can win with socialism in brooklyn but you know can you do it in the midwest well I'm yeah. confident that you can. Like, well, oh, yeah. we we know that that's an insane statement, just based upon like historical trends and and current politics. But for I mean, you can win with it everywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and like I am in the Midwest, and I know. I mean, I don't exist in a liberal bubble, like, but I do know <laughs> the majority. Yo, yo, no, I do know the majority of the people my age. Even if they disagree with socialism, they're not, like, terrified of it. They just don't agree with it. And, you know, I can call myself a socialist or a communist and, you know, not have people, like, shoot guns at me. So I think that people don't really understand. The Midwest is not as ass-backwards as everybody thinks it is. Even, even in Ohio. Well, I'd see, like, on the other hand, like I got, you know, I got like a like like quasi threatening letter sent to the newspaper because I wrote a letter to the editor defending AOC. So, oh like, my god, yeah, fun times. Um, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like bad enough to be like a Democrat in some places. Oh yeah. But that's a completely other topic. I'm in one of those districts that like. I feel like economically there isn't much like people don't have much of an opinion on that here. Like there is a very strong like social conservative strain, but like I live in a district where people voted for Obama twice mm -hmm. and then swung for Trump. So I feel like where they really get moved is both that sort of populist rhetoric and in the in the years after Obama's election and after 2012 um, the culture war has sort of reemerged, but it's not like anti-socialist rhetoric that makes people come out to vote here. It's like 
black people are scary and banks are bad. Well, in, in, in the, in the Midwest in particular, in, and even in Texas, like the, the Trump or Bernie voter is a very real thing, which is uh-huh. insane, but it absolutely exists. Like my parents are pretty conservative and they were both like, oh yeah, we totally would have voted for Bernie if he won the nomination. Yeah, that's definitely like um, people's opinions on politics don't line up on this dumb like left-right axis that I think a lot of the libs kind of assume would. People have heterodox beliefs. It doesn't line up with a coherent ideology just because we have maybe more coherent um, ideologies and are very plugged into movements or online doesn't mean other people are. When you see a poll that like ask likely voters who whose number one issue is climate change who they prefer and like joe biden's like the overwhelming winner of that poll like that just tells you that people most people like don't i mean i don't want to be rude but they don't fucking know what they're talking about Uh they just like know they know like ex-politician is like the most recognizable name and they're like well yeah he Sure, he's nice. He'll do climate change. Right. And it's not, I don't think it's mean or rude to acknowledge that, like, most people don't really give a fuck about, like, the ins and outs of policy. I don't think, I think especially in the last couple decades, like, people's understanding of politics has been separated from their own, like, surroundings and their own, their own material reality. So... It is all about rhetoric and stuff like that. I don't think that that's rude. It's just reality. No, absolutely. Um. So, did you? Did anyone want to? Did anyone want to talk about this anti woke left thing? I would love to talk about it. I think I can kind of get us started on that. Uh, mm-hmm. So. In the last, like, month or so, there's been, like, this brewing, like, Brooklyn podcast civil war. One of the combatants, though, doesn't live in um, Brooklyn and might be living in Australia. Just very jealous of people in the, like, Brooklyn uh, podcast shantytown. Um, right. So, so, so all, all of our, all of our faves and, and not so faves have been cattily shit flamethrowing on Twitter. Um and it and it kind of culminated last week in this in this really really bad article that Anna from Red Scare and Amber from Chapo Trap House did with a did with a uh, a publication in England called Spiked magazine, which kind of has a kind of has an interesting history like formally they were a very like doctrinaire uh, marxist publication really really more like trotskyite publication in the like as early as like the late 80s early 90s and now they are a more right-wing publication funded by the copes who are like really concerned with like safe spaces and 
college campuses. Um, I was I was going through their YouTube page and I was kind of delighted to see that they had gone on a podcast tour of America called the Unsafe Space Tour. Oh my god! Which yeah, who is did that? Spike Magazine. Oh god! And so, like, it, it reminds me it, like a very like British comedian, like Ricky Gervais, like, oh, you triggered, mate. <laughs> Um, but just like in 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 podcast form by like the most tedious motherfuckers like Brendan O'Neill. Mm. Um, so so you know it was like a so it's like an article. It was titled "Meet the Anti Woke Left." So really good start so far. Um, mm-hmm. And the the main the main thread going through this article is, is pretty, I think anyone who's a leftist on Twitter would be pretty comfortable like reading this, understanding this article because it's like, you know, like identity politics are ascendant in the left, which is bad because it, you know, like goes against class consciousness and, and in the in the the biggest point that people Amber make is that like working class people you can't expect them to be woke, which I feel like is a little disrespectful of working class people's uh, 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 instincts and brain power. Like I feel like it's a little like oh they're too simple to understand like you can't be racist or you can't be homophobic. Um, yeah, it's like I think their image is of hard hat wearing orange vest wearing construction workers they just like uh they'd be interested in class politics the union not- organizing but they just want to see the n-word so bad yeah right. not for all those pesky sjw's they would not want to die working a terrible job with no benefits right like like us like people being like no like don't be homophobic has, has chased these people from like voting for Bernie Sanders, and that's why they vote for Donald Trump because of the they have the racism bone. So I think it's really interesting to note that like the history. So like Eugene Debs, one of the most prominent like socialist figures in American polit- American history, um, he's known for you know he is. He is the face of, like, the working class left, right? Mm-hmm. He is everything these people imagine. He was, um, you know, a manual laborer. Um, he was a union organizer. But he also fought for his fellow workers who were non-white to be represented by unions. So it's not like... It's unprecedented for working class people in America to give a fuck about working class people that don't look like them. I was gonna, like one of the most significant labor actions in American history was the Pullman strike, which was organized by Debs. And, right. And Pullman porters were almost entirely African American. You know, there was no, um, there were hardly any like, not only like white porters, but even like non-black porters like it was very much like an african-american as i understand it very much like an african-american job and debs organized it with a lot of with obviously like a lot of solidarity across the rest of the labor movement um 
And it's a very, I feel like you have to be very isolated and privileged and in a, in a very safe position in your own life to be able to say like, oh, well, working people are like, the the construction worker that can't help but cat call people or like the the farmer with a big hunk of dip in his mouth that like just wants to say the n-word and just like if you tell him you can't he can't say the n-word he's just gonna get mad and he's gonna become a fascist it's extremely simplistic and and insulting toward the people that like i know or that either of you two people know and like your regular mm-hmm. like, everyday lives it's it's a it's a it's a it's a very absurd take that i feel isn't done for working class solidarity it's done to make themselves feel more comfortable in their own like either ironic or semi-ironic racism and right homophobia and, and and transphobia which is the kind of the mm. next part i wanted to get to in this article well first can i just say one more thing sure um, i just wanted to say it's sort of like these are the leftists that call everybody else a rad lib for caring about social justice but it's so funny to me that this whole position is like the the like quote-unquote leftist inverse of the liberal belief that all like midwestern people are just it reminds me of you know the music video for taylor swift's new song you need to calm down there's like this this okay well basically there's this representation (laughs) of like trump supporters that are like you know regular people they're all they have they're dirty from working all day they're wearing flannels and jeans and stuff and this is supposed to be a bad thing uh, this is dumb. Never mind. Sorry. No, Sorry. I, I understand. No, no, no. I understand what I think. I understand. I haven't seen the video, but I think I understand what you're trying to say. Um, the uh, it, it's it's there's a very like, especially post 2016. There's a very liberal reflex to look at the uh-huh. South and the Midwest and just say everybody's racist. There's nothing we can do about it. There's no reaching these people. Right. And the like the direct inverse of that is saying you can't like, reach these people, but that's good actually. Yeah, right, right. Like like the way to get them to vote for social democratic policies is to say like, well, it's fine that you say the end or like it's fine that you like are like scared of trans people using the bathroom or whatever. Whatever like absurd bullshit. Right. Well yeah, in as you go through the South, there's a lot of terrifying racism that, that's true, but most people aren't like homophobic or racist and would not be comfortable seeing displays of it. They, um, I think typically people aren't so like backwardly uh, bigoted and it so it's sort of patronizing to most people to assume that they have these prejudices and believe me many many people do i don't mean to diminish that at all but also there are millions and millions of workers in the south that 
aren't white. I don't see what this anti-woke perspective does for those people. Like you want to build a movement that makes, um, you know, the millions of black workers feel comfortable with it. Who, they, who reside in the South as well. So I, no, Chi, I think as far as that asking people to have solidarity with black people is neoliberalism, actually. No, of course. But but also like as far as the these people are unreachable electorally, we know that that just isn't true. Uh, so I remember very vividly when um Teach Me How to Dougie, um Doug Jones won that special election you know maybe he doesn't <laughs> win um his reelect but but the way that was able to happen was through not in obviously when you run like a pedophile uh you, you might lose but he would not have won without this groundswell of of huge support organized in the black community in alabama right it's like th- that's what carried him over the finish line it just would not be possible without without the sort of turnout operation and you know that that that's um the, that looks to me a lot like uh black workers in the south you know um in obviously like a lot of white workers too I guess I'm saying, like, yeah, you can do successful <laughs> politics in the South. It's not to, to, to write it off as ridiculous. And then, obviously, uh, the, the true governor of Georgia is not uh, Brian Kemp. It's Stacey Abrams. So the, the sort of, like, write off the South thing is ridiculous on its face. So I think really what these people are doing are, are, is, is on, on the one hand, the libs are, are writing off millions and millions of people who are poor and like really trying to um get by under difficult circumstances and a lot of people of color in then these anti-woke like lefter than you people their solution isn't really a solution either because it's just like uh construction workers should get to say the n-word but you know I find that ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. the interests of of these, like of this image of a of a white working class person, I, I don't I don't think their interests are vastly different from black workers. No, I, I just don't. I it's hard for me to even like see what the point that they're making is. And also, like as leftists, it's our job to not emphasize the culture war and to emphasize like the class change. war. Right. To, to like teach these people who are, you know, teach sounds so condescending, but like there are people who might have backwards social views. And that's because there's a lot of propaganda that, you know, Fox News is the biggest news station in America and it's mm. really popular. And, you know, AM talk radio is really popular in the Midwest. I know that, you know, if you're in a car with somebody that's driving to work, you know, I have you know family, we drive, you know, an hour to meet family or whatever. If you're in the car, you're listening to Rush Limbaugh, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff working against those people having class consciousness. 
So it's not our job to make it easier for them to be racist. It's our job to teach them how they're being lied to to make them racist. Because it's the people who are who are convincing them that black people are the enemy and that immigrants are taking their jobs. Those are the people who are actually their enemy and who are actually taking their money out of their pockets. It's our job to teach them that hating their neighbor is wrong and that hating their bosses and their landlords and stuff is that's that's where they should aim their anger and when you let those people have you know free reign to just be as hateful as they want to be it takes their energy away from the fight at hand the real fight right and not not just that but let's say we're Let's say we follow the prescriptions and we're building this broad movement, which is obviously going to need every worker, you know, black or white, uh, uh, kind of allowing or, or giving room and space for the white people's prejudices is going to necessarily turn away people that they're also expecting to line up who aren't white. Right. And that's not really acceptable. Like, ultimately, in order, I think, in order to, to build socialism and move, like, a better future for, like, the people of the world, like, you have to keep the bedrock of, like, liberal freedoms and values that have been won this century. Like, yeah, like, if we have, like, a class politics, but we lose, like, you know, just freedom of expression or freedom of the press. It, it's a problem. And in that, I add, which is, that's obvious to most people, I think, but I, I add in on that, like, feminism's done a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the LGBT movement has done a lot of good things. And there are, like, criticisms that one can make of any social movement that are Oh, there's a lot of validity to that but mm-hmm. if you if you fear anyone who's concerned with such things as an SJW or that they're to they're a woke scold or something like that like if you build a socialism that's built upon those kinds of liberal rights taking a step backward I really worry about like what kind of of society that that then builds right and also there is a foundation for class politics in you know lgbt liberation in the liberation of women there are tendencies um you know marxist feminism and which you know there are disagreements that i have with marxist feminists um, obviously a lot of them tend to be a little transphobic, but you can, you can build off of these like bedrock understandings of oppression and sort of use them to, you know, to organize around class and, you know, LGBT rights or women's rights. Uh, you know, the, for one of the most prominent, um, you know, parts of LGBT history is, um, you know, trans women of color throwing bricks at cops for stealing their shit. Like, that's pretty not neoliberal, you know? 
Stonewall started with the riots. One thing that I found really, really interesting about this piece is that Amber and Anna both kind of do the this right like thing that I I've always associated with the right wing, where they equate the left with liberals. There's a few oh, yeah. there's a few times in this article where and and, and to give to, to maybe give some uh, some leeway to Anna and Amber, this may have also been an editorial choice by the writer in the magazine. But there's yeah. a lot of times where the what I would consider to be like a, a liberal tendency is described as a left tendency. Like um you know, there's a lot of stuff in here about how the, uh, like, the left is uh, reacting to Trump badly, and that, like, uh, uh, let me find the quote. Well, so the, the, the quote that I had in mind is, the, the article says, uh, worse, the left's response to Trump has been totally counterproductive, and this is, this is Amber speaking now. Do you want to tell people how bad they are? Do you want them to repent because they're bad racists, or do you want them to pursue a left-wing project? To me, that seems more like a liberal tendency to to yell at people about how racist they are, and it's not something that I see from most people that I would consider to be socialists or, or communists. Um, what, what was the... Kennedy, what was the thing you called them as, like, nicknames? It was, like, Anna... Ketchup, ketchup and, and amber cold or something like that. I like that. <laughs> Anna, and then someone someone ketchup. called someone called Amy Therese Anime Therese, which <laughs> So the the fun, the funniest nickname I've seen. Uh, I really like Anime Therese. Is, if it can uh, top that. So mm-hmm. Amber Amber's middle name is Ali, so it's Amber Ali Frost, and someone called her Amber Amy Frost. <laughs> Sorry. What about um, Amber Jackson Lee uh, Frost? In, in in like there's one thing Amber Robert say, E Lee Frost. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I got him. One thing I will say about this piece is that there are some some quotes in here that come pretty close to making a good point, uh, especially from Amber. Um, like there's a, she, she kind of goes into a, a critique of, of modern like liberal feminism where it's more about like middle-class women trying to get spots in the, in the boardroom, you know, and like how there's kind of a, an ignorance of working class women's issues like childcare um, you know, so much of like the, the 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 discourse about equitable pay is more about is more on the upper end of the spectrum. You know, like the the a lot of times the same like liberal women who will talk about like equal pay don't support like the fight for fifteen, for example, right. which we know would disproportionately help you know women of color. Oh yeah, well the fight for fifteen is necessarily just going to cut into um board members incomes period but that's the better struggle in the same breath of making like a a fairly valid critique of modern liberal feminism uh 
Amber then goes into, she says, well, they don't care about working class women. Half the time they're smearing them as reactionaries because they voted for Trump, which is an incredible, incredible act of telling on oneself. Because you you see that the that the brain space of where she's at views working class as white working class. Right. There's no like there's no nuance in this take of well lar- the the correct thing is that largely working class men and women don't fucking vote. Right. Because they don't have time. Because they don't have time. But instead, or because they're too far away from a polling station. Right, or they don't have a car. Exactly. Or they've been like, you know, they're systematically disenfranchised. Yeah, instead of six polling locations in the county, there's one. Right. And like, but instead of making some sort of like greater point about about how working class people are disenfranchised, it's well, working class people are white, and in order to to salvage their votes we can't call them like reactionaries because they voted for Trump, which is literally a reactionary tendency to vote for Trump. Like, right. And there's, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for people, especially in the Midwest who voted that way. Maybe I shouldn't, but no, I do too. Like another good point that Amber raised in this article, which we all know is that like only one candidate really talked about jobs in 2016. And like, Especially in the Midwest, like I get it, like your factory's closed or whatever, you know, you want to, you want your job at the racism factory back, and, and only one person <laughs> went, said he was going to bring the racism factory back. It's, it's a, it's a very, but that's a very obvious statement. But then to make it every time you say working class, it's you're obviously talking about white people is a, like a pretty hilarious act of telling on yourself right and where your where your mind what your mind is occupied with right the majority of women didn't vote for trump the majority of white women voted for trump like i think it was like 52 or 53 percent but those women are also probably majority more affluent because most people who voted for trump were not working class he was voted in by wealthy suburbanites, people who have been to college, small business owners. Like he wasn't voted in by the white working class. He was voted in by white people. He was voted in by people who own an F three fifty and like run a plumbing company. All right, so that's a good, like honestly, um, like I, I, there's so much more I could pull from this article, but it, it gets depressing to a point where like. Some really like absurd things were said, like women have a there's an epidemic of women just like having their uteruses removed for the fun of it. I would think it would be remiss also to not um, say the transphobic remarks bad. Yes, from the start, like yeah. this is how this is how Anna walked into the room. And she said, uh, and this this is presented as very refreshing, as very, like, very cute, as very, like, endearing. And Anna said, uh, you could tell people that I'm trans. I'm not trans, but you could say that just for fun. Uh, oh really God. fun. 
yeah, really funny, really, She's really so endearing. Quirky. Uh, the the term used in this paragraph was characteristic irreverent. She's just so irreverent. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care like who is harmed by this. It's just jokes. It's just cute. And like for me, like, and and I, I have a tendency to sometimes be attracted to more like transgressive humor. But like the worst thing that humor like that can be is unfunny. Right. If you if if you're gonna do that, like don't like if you're gonna do some like cross line crossing stuff like that, it has to be it has there has to be some kind of humor behind it. If it's just if you're just saying things that are slathered in seventeen layers of irony, like there there's not a lot of good there. Right. And like I I understand the like irreverent joking about gender. I've had friends tell me that I'm like non-binary passing. I have very sort of like I feel androgynous figures and you know when I was a kid I was like bullied if people called me Ken and shit. So like I can relate to wanting to joke about stuff like that. But at the same time like you make yourself a public figure. You have to be more responsible with how you joke about stuff like that. Well, and, like, honestly, like, for me, like, if Anna made those kinds of jokes, but, like, at the rest of the time, she was like, yeah, you should support trans rights. Like, it's very important. Well, okay. Like, you bought yourself a little credit there. Like, you know, I see that your heart's in the right place. Right. Um, Instead of, like, instead of, like, actually, it's tight that the working class, like, wants to be bathroom warriors. Like, well, that's, hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Not good. It's like if Ben Shapiro were to walk around making like this is the only two genders jokes, like it wouldn't have the same yeah effect. Right, right. No context extremely matters. Talking about context is liberalism, actually. Right. Well, like, and that's the most like tedious thing about about Red Scare is that like their whole bit is just like everything neoliberalism. Get in, bitch! We're criticizing neoliberalism. Right. Ooh. Yeah. That's praxis. Mm-hmm. The other, so I guess that may conclude comments on the left. Yeah. If we'd like, um, the other things we were looking at talking about were the migrant concentration camps and Mike Pompeo deciding to delete human rights. Do we want to control touch all any of those? So the, I mean, the Mike Pompeo thing is, like, I'm extremely interested in that. Um, You're interested in deleting human rights? Yeah, it's wow. cool. It's good. I'm irreverent. I'm, I'm anti-woke. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Um, so on, uh, on Monday, uh, Politico published an article that, that, with the headline, Mike Pompeo unveils panel to examine, quote, unalienable rights. Yeah, so Mike Pompeo is considering how we might alienate some of these inalienable rights, I take it. So the, so the, so the, the larger, like the, the greater idea here seems to be that Mike Pompeo, he's unveiled a new, it's called the Commission on Unalienable Unalienable Rights, a panel he said is aimed at providing him with, quote, 
an informed review of the role of human rights in American foreign policy. This, this commission is going to be headed up by a former ambassador under George W. Bush, who's a social conservative, anti-abortion voice, like very, very exactly what you would think of as like a mid-aughts Republican. Right. Um, you know, of course, anti-LGBT, anti-women's rights, uh, you know, loves the term religious liberty. Which is just like a, you know, that's not even like a, like a, like a dog whistle anymore. It's like a dog trombone. Yeah, like you, you know what's up when right wingers talk about religious liberty. And the, in the, a quote from Pompeo about about what he's looking for this commission to do is he says that quote words like rights can be used by good or evil. And then he talked about how some have hijacked human rights rhetoric to be used for dubious purposes. That's ironic. Right. Uh, That's definitely not, he's definitely not looking at a mirror while saying that. Right. I think it's interesting how that sort of, how this whole thing sort of corresponds to, I don't remember if this was a month or two ago, but there was that resolution at the UN to like include like sexual violence in the like what is it like international war law international law during war that like right. the act of like rape as a punishment should be illegal and like the US refused to sign on to that and like spent forever on the floor denouncing it um and diluting that resolution to make it so that it does not protect women in times of war from sexual violence. And I just think that it's interesting how these things are sort of playing off of one another. Like, not only are we going to re-examine human rights on an American foreign policy level, but also um, we're going to start openly opposing them at the UN. Well, and I guess, I guess what I can see that this panel doing is, you know, of course, like, of course, there's going to be like your kind of standard culture war bullshit in this, like, like, oh, like, it's not a problem for American evangelical pastors to go to Africa and advise countries there on like, you know, how to write laws that make it okay to jail gay people, or to like, help a country like El Salvador in that, you know, extremely punitive anti-abortion laws. But I, I also see this as being as a, as a, as a movement to protect property rights. Right. Like I, I can see, I can see like, like a company like Nestle being very happy with this development. Right. Especially like, where we sit now, where there's a, a, a fair chance that uh, America will be governed by a socialist and England will be governed by a socialist. That, you know, like the world's maybe changing very quickly. And so I see this as, as, as the forces of reaction and fascism laying bricks in the road to make sure that they have an out and that they can protect you know, their 
their, you know, interests around the world from any kind of redistributive policy. And as the far right starts to take over more in Europe and in Southern America, um, it just gives them the go-ahead to, like, Bolsonaro is totally fine with the idea of of gay people dying and of leveling the Amazon to kill off indigenous people in Brazil. It's, It's striking the difference between somebody like Bernie, who earlier tweeted out that if he was president, he would travel all around the world to Brazil, to China, to Russia, to India, to tell them that they have to stop investing money in their militaries and that they have to start investing in climate change um, uh, policy. I think that it would be, I think it's incredibly interesting, the dichotomy between that and then the Trump administration. Mike Pompeo essentially saying, you know, we have our standards here, but fuck it, you can do whatever you want. Well, and and I think that that eroding international standards is a great way to erode domestic standards. Oh yeah. And and there there's a great interest in making sure that like someone like, you know, a theoretical like President Bernie or Prime Minister Corbyn to make it more difficult for them to to internationalize like a, a policy like, yes, like uh, uh, housing is a human right or you know, like not being burdened with exploitative debt is a human right or like right. being having access to, you know, farmland so that you can have a subsistence living is a right. You know, and that's right. a very that's a very that's a very still today a very big policy in in Central America. You know, that's why the Obama administration did a coup in Honduras because they were trying to redistribute unused land to peasant farmers to just be able to live. Right. And also, like, there's, you know, as we approach, like, the oncoming climate crisis, I hate to be, you know, the typical Zoomer, um, Doomer, if you will, but, like, people are fighting over resources, like, people are going to begin fighting over resources like land and water and like food and you know all of these things that we consider human rights on the left those you know can just be thrown out with the bathwater in this case and in another and to kind of like unfortunately build on your on your generation doomer take <laughs> you know if you even the worst right-winger accepts that climate change is real. Uh, no matter what they tell their constituents, like, if you're a senator, okay. you know it's real. Like, I mean, I, I was going to say, like, I should have I yeah. clarified that. I mean, politicians, like, you know, like, I, I remember a couple months ago, Marco Rubio was on one of the, the Sunday morning shows, and he said, basically, like, yeah, like, climate change is real, but what do you expect me to do? like hurt the economy it's not gonna do that right they're like the line is like climate change is real but it's natural change it's not man-made like Um, increasingly it's going to be 
Yeah, climate change is real. Yes, many countries in the global south are devastated. What do you want us to do? Let them in the country? We have to, we have to like guard our own citizens against the against the, the coming climate catastrophe. And something like a commission on human rights that rolls back what exactly is a human right is just laying the groundwork for mass atrocities. See, I'm, I'm, I'm depressing myself thinking about it. It's depressing. But I think I'm right, so. Yeah. There's already... Um... I can't remember exactly what the, it was. A, it was a pamphlet from, I think it was like Identity Europa or something that was like something like save the seas, something. I can't remember. But then the last part was deport refugees. So there are already far right activists who are trying to capitalize on the doom and gloom of the, unco- of the un- oncoming climate crisis in order to. Yeah, the right wing's answer to climate crisis is eco-fascism. Right, to send all the brown people out. This commission seems like very much to be a a precursor to a more advanced ethnocentric um, response. Absolutely. Like Kennedy was saying, people on the far right very disingenuously are um orientating some of their propaganda to respond to you know the climate and ecological crisis which seems to me to kind of lay the groundwork for a framework that kind of the less far right right wingers can can latch on to that right. frames it as a problem with people in other countries or with minorities or, or what have you, you know, like, like they'll try to convince you that um, the West is largely not responsible for say current emissions, mm-hmm. maybe in absolute terms. That's true today. Historically, it definitely is not true. And maybe I don't know, adjusted for per capita, maybe it's not true, but if you look at like the, raw numbers and raw numbers are kind of not that important you you can you can kind of frame it as like look it's india and china and maybe like add africa because like they're not us too according to them and they'll tell you like oh it look at like the indus river or all the plastic or most of the plastics coming from like these countries which is incredibly disingenuous because this stuff hasn't happening in those countries without the action of u.s corporations like it may be happening in those countries but it definitely is like the fault of capital a lot of which is controlled by the u.s right decades of u.s they're able to escape the well, well these corporations are able to escape like the the scant you know, environmental protections in the West and, and just right. act with impunity in these other countries. And of course, it's going to lead to plastic in the oceans, but it's not the people who like live in poverty's fault. It's the people right. who either run the, the companies and that are based there or, you know, 
us who do business with them or who run those, obviously, us, uh, capital in our countries, in quotes, obviously, I don't mean to frame it like that, but people in the so-called West, like, um, they're running the companies that are doing a lot of stuff. Right. And also, like, as, as this crisis looms closer, like, people are, there's a lot of misunderstanding about, like, the population being a huge problem. And myths about overpopulation often, you know, run into, you know, people, you know, certain races of people having too many children, Africans having too many children. And you even hear a lot of like, you know, quote unquote, left nationalists saying things like, which I think that left nationalism is just. That's a very strange phrase to me, but like left oh, nationalists, yeah. but definitely like gr- it's a green tendency, unfortunately. You know, I've seen a lot of scaremongering about, like, birth rates in West Africa being the cause of climate change or some stupid bullshit. Not be further from the truth. Yeah. To kind of bring it full circle to our previous topic about the ladies of the anti-woke left, that someone that runs in that circle, Angela Nagel, has made some very left left nationalist takes as far as the working class uh, should be opposed to immigration. Um, and, and I think I'm going to go ahead and say the hot take that left nationalism is just national socialism. Like it, it, they, they, yeah. it doesn't even take half a brain cell to put that together. You can't have a socialism without international solidarity. Yeah, but brown people coming across the border is bad because they're bad. <laughs> the editors of bad practice would like to state that brown people coming over the border is good it's good actually it's super good 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 uh so we we've uh we've gone over gone over some pretty pretty heady topics i think today uh there's plenty plenty of content for the for the for the content trough that we that we lay out for you you nice people semi-regularly um the uh we uh, we plan to do an episode more about the American concentration camps uh, and the the discourse around them more broadly. Uh, I think that's that's probably better served as a standalone episode. Um, other than that, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for thanks for supporting. Uh, you can find the the show on SoundCloud under Bad Praxis. Uh, you can find us on Patreon, uh, badpraxis.com, redirects to the Patreon. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud under Bad Praxis. Um, we, uh, we extremely appreciate the support of the few, few patrons that we have now. It is unfortunately not free to do a podcast. So, you know, trying to, to recoup some costs is a is a is a good thing and we, we very very much appreciate the support. Um other you know, outside of Patreon, like the probably the uh, the biggest support that we can get from you guys is is retweets and shares of our episodes. Um and and hopefully we're 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 trying to kind of improve the aesthetics of the pod with some better better recordings. Um hopefully a uh, Hopefully, a some intro music here soon, and uh, and a and a logo. Oh, yeah. um, which, speaking of, if if anyone has ideas on a logo, 
uh, more than welcome to to share that with us. We uh, we could we could do not creative. I guess the one yeah. thing I would say, like if you were to be so generous, anyone as to volunteer doing that, greatly appreciated. But we would need to talk ever so briefly about like control of that logo because we wouldn't want to be in a situation where um we're using artwork as a as a logo that we don't have control of yes where someone like says hey this is a free thing you could use and then decides to exercise control over that copyright later this is kind of some nerd nerd shit but we would just want to like make it clear that like we're able to use it (laughs) we just have to talk about it it's no big deal yeah 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 no i i agree um but yeah otherwise uh, uh thanks for listening uh and hope to hope to release an, another episode fairly shortly after this when you get out in the world yep bye guys bye, bye. Everybody.